0: Last week we um, looked at the first part of chapter 2 of Philippians, and and I'm not going to re-preach that sermon, uh, but I do want to help you see the tie-in here, because when you write a letter, you you don't just jump from thought to thought, you usually have a continuation of thoughts, and that's really what we're going to look at today is a continuation, because Paul had talked to the church at Philippi about uh, how to live for Jesus, uh, and If you remember, uh, they are to to find unity by knowing Jesus personally, by having the blessing of emulating Jesus as we walk, of the significance of imitating him in our own individual lives. But then he got to the point in late uh, chapter uh, 2, verse 10, 11, where he talks about the great purpose of the church, which is to reveal Jesus to those we encounter, to take the gospel And so as he goes into verse 12 and following, he really picks up that thought and expands on it uh, with the people at Philippi, they need to be the the light to the world. They need to take the light of Christ and share it with the world. Uh, And I think that's true of us in the modern church as well. We're called to to share the light of Jesus, to carry the light to the world. We are never called to be an organization that focuses on ourselves, though we obviously see We'll do things for our own needs from time to time, but that's not the focus. The focus is on sharing the light of Jesus to the world because we are a people who have been redeemed, restored, commissioned, and we've been told to go. And that's our calling, to bring the light of Jesus to a dark world. And that's done as we live under the Lord. And that's what Paul then begins to tell the church of Philippi. He's going to give them four things I see in this passage that they need to do. And so I think there are things that we ought to consider as well. So the first one is this, to live a life that is properly centered, properly centered. What's he talking about? Look at verse 12. He says, "Therefore, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but also much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now, anytime I see the word therefore in Scripture, I'm kind of in condition to ask this question. What's it therefore? Why did he put that? Because that's a big pivot point in scripture where he says, okay, therefore, now what's he talking about? Is it, is it a summary of what he's been talking about or is it he's getting ready to give us some direction going forward? And I think it's the latter here that he's going to lay out for the church at Philippi, which, which means for us as believers today, a, a, a thought on how to live what he's been talking about. And he lays out for us the importance of how are the, excuse me, the instruction for how to live out the important call of lifting up the name of Jesus in the world. Because that's the point of the church, he says in the previous passage. So notice he goes from the therefore and he talks about the fullness of the church at Philippi while being cognizant of the tendency that we all have to drift. He says, therefore, do this. I think if you had to summarize this thought right here, it's this. Live your life to Jesus. Live your life unto the Lord Jesus. Live your life centered on him. He does it in a way that's kind of odd to us. And, and from our mind of, uh, of 21st century Americans, we kind of want to read some thoughts into here. But we've got to be careful not to do that, but to go back into the context. So look at it here with me. Therefore, my beloved, it's one of my favorite phrases for the church, my beloved. Y'all are My beloved. We are beloved. Uh, You've always obeyed not only in my presence, but so much more in my absence. Look at this. He says what? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, we see that word work out, and some of us go, "Uh, I'm not going to the gym. That's not what he's talking about. Some of us look at that and say, oh, that means I need to figure out how to get myself into the presence of God. It's all based on what I do. And that's not what he's talking about either Because that's not the, the, the emphasis of the gospel in other places So you can't read that into here So what he's not saying to us is this Go earn your salvation He's not saying that What he's talking about is something bigger than that Because modern ears hear the word work it out But that's not part of the experience We're not ever told to earn our salvation Why? Because salvation is a free gift from God What can you do to earn salvation? Absolutely nothing How do you get it? You answer the call of God to say yes as you follow him. That's real simple. And so we know it's not working it out. But here he says, work out your salvation. So the big idea I think he's trying to lay out here is this you've got to figure out, now that you're in Christ, how to center your life on him. Piece of cake, right? It's easy. <laughs> no, it's not. It takes work, it takes practice, it takes effort, it takes a, a, a commitment. And so for Paul, the right place to be centered is always where? Not on what he wants, not on what he thinks or what people think about him, but on the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He said, that's where our focus is. We are to work it out. We're supposed to figure out how to follow him, to live Him, live with him. And so, it, because that leads us to a road of trans- transportation, road of transformation, where God leads us and guides us and directs us and transforms us and changes us from what we used to. be to what he wants us to be his children his followers and by allowing God to work out in them they discover this transformation where things change now how do we bring that into our lives you go pastor I don't I don't get the the privilege and it is a privilege to spend time days on end studying God's word for a career I get to do that I'm so blessed thank y'all for letting me do that you go, I don't get to do that. So how do I bring this into real life when I'm out there patrolling or out there working at the office or working at the factory or working wherever I work at? How do I bring this in? I think we have to stop and think about this phrase. And, I, and it's a phrase I, there's a song that goes with this, and we're going to learn it. I'm, I'm, I'm going to get it for you here. But it, it, it's... We're intended to go from glory to glory. Now you're going, where is that coming from? That's actually the King James translation of a passage we're going to look at in a second. But, but it's, a, it's a strange phrase, Which you're going, wait a second, what, what are you talking about? When you're saved, excuse me, before you're saved, your face, my face, was veiled. Y'all know what a veil is. A lot of women wear them for weddings. They use it to cover themselves. And then at the end of the ceremony, what what, what happens? She lifts the veil and, and he goes, hey, you're the wrong woman. No, you, you lift the veil. That happened to a guy in the Bible, y'all you know don't you? He forgot to lift the veil. Anyway, you lift the veil and you get to see her whole beautiful glory at that moment, right? What's happened though in that service as you've gone from being a single adult to being a Married adult, life has changed. That visual is what I want you to catch here. Before you knew Christ, you had a veil over your face. You couldn't see God clearly. You couldn't understand who he was fully. So you, were, you had a sense of glory in your life. You go, I was a creation, I'm a creation of God. I'm a creation of, 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 of the king of kings. I'm, I'm, I'm special. I'm unique. But I don't have the glory of God yet. So when you come into a relationship with with Christ, then your veil is lifted. Now the the cloud of sin is gone. Now the the, the things that keep you from being intimate with God is gone. And and once that happens, we're able to now center our lives on Christ. So let me ask you this. You came to that point where you trusted Christ as Savior. Guess what happened, whether you realize it or not? The veil was lifted. Now you have a relationship with God. One-on-one, intimate, personal transformational even. Paul described the process when he writes to the church down the coast from Philippi at Corinth. He said this in 2 Corinthians 3.18, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding, and by the way, the word that's translated beholding could also be translated reflecting, the glory of God are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. I believe it's the King James that translates that as one degree of glory to glory we go from one glory to another. We have a glory but not a full glory. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. The contemporary English version translates it this way. So our faces are not covered. They show the bright glory of the Lord as the Lord's Spirit makes us more and more like our glorious Lord. So what the the, the idea here is this as we're living our lives centered under the Lord, we become more and more like Christ. Our transformation becomes more and more complete as we walk down this road. And the way carrying the light is supposed to work is we receive the light. He changes us in an instant, but then we are now forever changed and we're in the process of ever being changed. We are intended to go from glory to glory. It's like a master sculptor. I've tried to do some artwork in my life, uh, but I've never done sculpting. But if you can imagine uh, when they, they start, they have a block of marble. And you and I look at that and go, that's a block of marble. We're really profound, aren't we? But an artist, a sculptor, looks at that block of marble, and what does he see or she see? They see art. They see a figure. And they begin to bring that out of that block of marble. If you've ever painted on canvas, you start with a blank white piece of canvas. How do you paint? Well, you just start throwing stuff up there. No, you have to see it in your mind. You have to visualize it in your life. You begin to work it through the process. That is what our lives are like. We are a workmanship being made new in Christ. We're going from what? Glory to glory. And so, but guess who gets to do part of the work? We do. We get to be a part of that. So we're called to live properly centered. Second, we need to live peacefully bright. Now you're going, that's a weird phrase it is I left it in there like, like that on purpose because I think it fits the two points that go with these two verses look at verse 14 do all things without grumbling or disputing we could camp out there the rest of the hour couldn't we we're not going to verse 15 goes on and says that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation man we could camp out there for a while couldn't we We live in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you, church at Philippi, shine as lights in the world. So as part of living centered properly, Paul calls the church at Philippi to live peacefully and brightly. So they're a work in progress. But there should be some evidence. Let's call it tangible evidence of progress. I believe that he gives the church at Philippi two indicators of how they reflect the working of Jesus in their life. They're, they're, these two, and they go into two words. Is why I left them in there kind of oddly. It's your peace level and your brightness level. And I'm not talking about your intelligence. I'm talking about your reflectivity of Jesus. Remember that the church at Philippi, for what we can tell, didn't have major strife. They didn't have lots of problems. We'll get to these two ladies in the last part of the, of the letter that had a little conflict, and Paul says, cut it out. But we're not there yet, okay? But, but for the most part, the church didn't have this. They appear to be faithfully sur- supporting the work of the kingdom of God. They're supporting Paul and his ministry. They're helping to share the gospel in their region of Macedonia. They're doing the right stuff. So what we have here is less of a rebuke and more of a Paul going, keep it up. Keep going, don't quit, don't stop, don't finish. They were supporting the work of the God of, of the kingdom of God. And so in other words, they're doing what he mentions, but they had to be careful that they don't fall into the trap of life. How easy is it to go from being peaceful to being grumbler? How easy is it for our brightness to become dull? It happens quick. And sometimes it happens we don't even see it. It just happens. They had a choice, just like we do in a minute we'll talk about, between disputing and peace. Between seeing the cup half full and seeing the cup half empty. To see progress as progress or progress as failure, which is amazing to me when I see people do that because I've been guilty of it myself but the notice the real choice is even bigger than grumbling or disputing it's really between making a positive difference in the kingdom of God or not we talked last week about that article of living to 110 years old my son found the article and sent me the link to it so I could have it can you imagine living 110 years griping and complaining all the time how about just 80 years that way Here's the thought I want you to grasp here. We have to make a choice, and it's a, I think it's the right choice. We have to make the right choice to live peacefully and brightly for the Lord. You're going, but everybody seems to be griping and complaining. Yeah, get off social media. read the news. I, get, I have a limit on my phone of how much time I can look at that stuff, and it pops up a reminder, get off. It doesn't say get off, but it says, your time is up. It's reminded me, don't spend too much time in that world because there's a lot of negativity out there. I have to make a choice in my life. You have to make a choice in your life. How am I going to live my life for the Lord? We have to make a decision that says, this is how I'm going to live. We can see life as a gift from God where I'm called to live humbly unto the Lord. Or we can say, man, this life is a burden. It's hard. It's difficult. It's terrible. I hope I get to the end. Listen, all of us have a past, but in Christ we all have a what? A future. Let me remind you again. Paul wrote this letter from where? From prison, and he's saying, "Let's rejoice. This is good. This is great. This is all right." And you're going, "What? You lost your mind, buddy? You're in jail." Uh, you know, good stuff. I promise you, Paul didn't one day when he was a kid go, "I hope when I grow up, I get to spend time in jail." But he responded to what he faced was faced with with a positivity that says this is what God's going to do. He wrote to the same church at Corinth this, We are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. But we walk by faith, not by sight. I think the big idea I want you to grasp here is this. Instead of looking at the circumstances of life and saying, Look how bad this is. Look how awful this is. Look how difficult this is. Look how awful that is and say, look how good our God is. My author and finisher of faith, he's going to carry me through this. How we respond to what we're presented with makes a big difference in how we live this life. And my friends, that affects how people around us see Jesus in us. So live properly centered, live peacefully bright, live powerfully engaged. Look at verse 16. Holding fast to the word of life. So that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. I think Paul's writing that letter going, you know, I may never see you guys again. I may find myself at the end of a stake. I may find myself on a cross. I may find myself killed quickly. So I want to do the best I can where I'm at. Isn't that our life? Holding fast to the word of life. Now, when you read that passage, you probably are doing what I did the first time I read that passage. I even, as I was beginning to prepare for the day, I looked at it and go, oh yeah, he's talking about, we need to spend time in God's word. Hold up. Paul wrote this letter to the Philippians probably around 62 AD. You're going, why does that matter? Because the New Testament had not been assembled yet. Paul did not have three copies of the New Testament in his bag, okay? Okay. He didn't even have a written copy of the Old Testament he carried around with him because it was so expensive. And if there happened to be a few copies of the Gospel of Matthew or Mark or Luke around, he couldn't have afforded them because they were all handwritten and copied over. So he is not talking specifically about the New Testament. You're going, Who? he's not telling us to read the God, word of God. No, I'm not. Listen, I want you to hear this. We're not talking about that. But what he's talking about in the word of life is this, the message that gives life. What is the message that gives you life? It's the message of who? Of Jesus. The message of him living a life that was perfect, being born sinless, living a perfect life, dying on a cross, being raised on the third day. That's the story. That's the word of life. That's the life we've been given in Christ. And so, what he's talking about is not the written word, but the grand story of his redemption and his redeeming work for you and me. For them, they would look back to the prophecies of Jesus in the Old Testament about the, the Messiah. Paul's prayer for this first generation of followers is this remain faithful. Keep on keeping on. Don't let apathy and deadness become part of your life. He says live powerfully engaged with the things of God. Now following Jesus in a comprehensive manner, I think has always been the way of God's word. And and instead of trying to compartmentalize things and say, well, this is my religious part and this is my non-religious part. How about we live this way? That Christ is filled in everything. We're powerfully engaged with him. How we do our business is engaged in Christ. How we Treat our families is engaged in Christ. How we deal with our neighbors is engaged in Christ. How we care for those around us who are in illness is engaged with Christ. It fills every part of our life. And so here's what I want you to consider, and this is my application. Make a firm commitment to know God's truth as revealed in His Word. Now you're going, you just said that, that is not talking specifically about the printed Word. It's not. But we're blessed, folks. This is like one of like 35 of these I've got. Forty. I don't know. i got a bunch of them in my library. Some of them I can't even, they're so old they're falling apart because they were old when I got them. You know, that kind of thing. But, But we are so fortunate to have the printed word of God. We can figure out what God's trying to tell us. How? By getting in his word. By understanding the big picture of who he's about. If you'd lived in 62 A.D. Philippi, you wouldn't have had several copies in the back of your chariot. Wouldn't have happened. We've got it though. We have printed Bibles, we have digital copies, we have electronic helps that help us. I, I've been using the, the, the U version for my own personal devotional life and been using some of those devotionals. Man, those things are great. That God can use different avenues to let His Word get into our life. We have no excuse not to let God's Word be a part of our lives except a lack of desire. I'm reminded of Paul's instruction to Timothy. When he said in 2 Timothy 2.15, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. We need to be people who are wanting to know God's word, wanting to know God's truth, wanting to know who, what God's t- saying to us and speaking to us. And the best way to do that, my friends, is in his word. I challenge you this morning, make a commitment to, to, for five minutes a day. Five five minutes a day to read something in Scripture. Start in Proverbs. You know, there's 31 Proverbs. Did you know that? You can read a proverb a day in about eight minutes. If you're a slow reader, nine minutes. Okay? And you're going, I don't have time for that. You, you don't have time for, you, okay. Spend time in God's Word. And ask the question, not what do I want to do, but God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to learn from this? What do you want me to engage with you this day? I promise you, if you'll ask him, he'll bring a spark of inspiration to you, a thought, a direction, a sin to confess, a rift to mend, a direction to go, if you'll just ask him. And then Paul gives them one more challenge. He says, live properly centered, live peacefully bright, live powerfully engaged, but also live presently cheerful. at verse 17. Paul's writing from prison. Let me remind you. He says, even if I am poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. That is a loaded sentence that we're not going to dig into, but I want you to know that it's, wow, there's Old Testament imagery there, there's trust that God's working in him and all this, but he says, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad And rejoice with me. So if a life is properly centered on Jesus, is peacefully bright and powerfully engaged, the attitude we ought to take is that we are going to be presently cheerful. Let me remind you, Paul was in prison for faithfulness to Christ when he writes these words. He's living an uncertain moment, not knowing what the next day holds, and yet he makes a bold choice that says this, even if I die for my faith... I will rejoice. You go, oh, but that was Paul. I'm not Paul. Uh, He was a preacher. He was a preacher, but he wasn't a pastor. Did you know that? He was just a regular guy like you and me. Well, like you. I'm irregular, so come on, y'all. He was living an uncertain moment, didn't know what day was coming, but he says, I will rejoice. His approach to life is rather different from so many others who look at a moment as trial, oh, I'll get through it. And he he didn't look at it that way. He says, no, God, I'm going to rejoice in whatever you send my way. What a different approach to life than many, isn't it? Even if I die, I'm going to do it encouraging others to press forward. I, I suspect we struggle with this, don't we? If you and I were in prison, we would be going, hey, buddy, come get me out. Get the bail together and come... Get me out of this jail. Come get me out. Let's break out. Bring me a gun like Bonnie and Clyde did. You know, get me out of here. Something. Not not Paul. He says, "I'm going to rejoice." The big idea here is whatever circumstance we find ourselves in, let us choose contentment and cheerfulness. Because we have Jesus. What a grand way to live. Knowing whose you are, who you are, believing whatever happens to you is going to be used for God's glory. Leads me to this closing thought. We've got to choose to look for God in every area of our life. Every area of our life. Instead of looking for ways to get away from God, how about we look for ways that God's at work? If you're a follower of Jesus, can I tell you something? God is right where you are. You go, I don't feel Him that may be the case but he's still there cuz he promises to what never leave us never forsake us never to abandon us never to walk away from us he's going to lead us he's going to guide us he's going to support us he's going to walk with us through the good the bad the highs the lows the di- the darks the lights everything so why do we allow negativity and dark thoughts to fill our minds you are a child of god Let's try. Let's, let's make that real personal. I am a child of God. I am a child of God. You are a child of God if you know Christ. You are an heir of the king. I'm an heir of the king. My father owns the cows on a, on a thousand hills. He's chosen for me a life that is way better than I could ever come up with on my own. And all I have to do is follow him and to lift up my eyes to where my help comes. Paul wrote these same Philippians. We're going to get to this passage in about a month or so. But he says this, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am in, I am to be content. He says, I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. in any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance, and need. Our hope is in you, Lord. Our strength is in you, Lord. My life is found in you, and it's in you, and you alone do I have life. But let me make it plain. You can't carry the light of Jesus if you don't have the light of Jesus. Can you remember the moment you trusted Christ? And for years, I, I thought it was in the fall. I was seven years old. I know my dad was in the process of moving to Dallas, being transferred with the company. Finally, I graduated college. I said, I want to figure this out. So I traveled up to Arkansas to the church we'd been going to and dropped into the church office. Church secretaries are amazing. Did you know that? And I asked that lady, I said, now, I, I'm twenty one at the time, I said, I remember a seven-year-old boy making a commitment to Christ in this church and getting baptized. Would you happen to have the record? And she goes, well, let me go look. And she pulled out a card with my name on it and the date I was, I made my profession of faith and the date I was baptized on it. And you're going, why is he telling us that? I not to brag. But listen, I remembered the moment, but I didn't remember the day. Can I tell you something? If you can't remember the moment, something's wrong. Because if you don't remember the change that was brought in your life with Jesus, something's missing. I just happen to know the day now. But the day of the week is not the most important thing. The experience is the most important thing. Tell your wife that on your anniversary and see how it goes. But... Listen, knowing Jesus is the most important thing. Maybe you're here today and you've never met him. We want you to have the opportunity to do that. The altar is going to be available. Maybe you need to come and pray. I'd love to pray with you, pray for you, pray over you. Maybe you need to trust Jesus today. Let this be the day. Father God, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for the blessings of Jesus and the work he does in our lives once we trust him. And I pray, God, for those in this room who maybe don't know you, but they... They want to. They want to carry the light. Father, help them to see your grace. Father, we don't have to understand it all. (laughs) Even after all these years, God, I'm not sure I understand it all. But Father, we walk by faith. We walk with a life centered on you. And I pray for those who need to respond that way in Jesus' name.